This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, October 25th, 2007. I'm Caleb Brown. What are the real impacts of freer trade on the average American family? Dan Griswold, the Cato Institute's Director of Trade Policy Studies, argues that trade has made a huge positive impact on the average American family, from income to material wealth to household net worth. The analysis released today is entitled Trading Up, How Expanding Trade Has Delivered Better Jobs and Higher Living Standards for American Workers. The jobs that are lost from globalization are absolutely real. 3.3 million jobs lost in the past decade in the manufacturing sector, certainly not all due to globalization, but many of them were. But you argue that trade is a net wash on total employment. Why is that? Well, trade does eliminate jobs, no question about that. But as jobs are eliminated in one sector of the economy, if resources are free to move, labor, capital will create jobs in other areas. We create jobs through exports. We create jobs through domestic investment. So I look back on a decade of figures, and we've created 16.5 million jobs uh, in the last decade. And those 3.3 million manufacturing jobs that have been lost, which we hear day after day, week after week, uh, they have been more than compensated by creating by the creation of good jobs in the service sector. I looked very closely at that and found that those 3.3 million jobs have been replaced by 11.6 million jobs in sectors of the workforce that pay more than the typical manufacturing job. Think business and professional services, uh, education and health care. Uh, the wages and compensation in these fields are higher than they are in manufacturing. Describe this job churn and the role of trade in job churn. Uh, you know, we're, we're obsessed with the net job creation numbers we hear each month, and they've been positive over the last several years, but they hide a very uh, strong churn in the U.S. labor market. Uh, in a typical year, 15 million jobs will disappear, never to come back again. Our best estimates are maybe 500,000 of those are trade-related. And, th and that's a figure that comes from critics of, of trade. And that's a lot of jobs, 10,000 jobs a week. But 300,000 people line up every week for unemployment insurance. So really, the jobs lost to trade are about 3% of the overall job churn. Technology, domestic competition, changing consumer tastes displace far more workers uh, than trade does. But the real story is we're creating jobs on net. We're not losing jobs from trade. Now, you also talk about how we measure wages and compensation. And if you use wages as, the, as your measure of how well compensated people are, you get arguments that become pretty compelling if that's, that's your measure. This is an article from uh, Foreign Affairs, A New Deal for Globalization, in which a couple of economists say, U.S. policy is becoming more protectionist because the American public is becoming more protectionist, and this shift in attitudes is a result of stagnant or falling incomes. Public support for engagement with the world economy is strongly linked to labor market performance, and for most workers, labor market performance has been poor. They are using wage data. Is that right? Yeah, one of the battering rams against trade liberalization is we're worse off than we were uh, in 2000 or 1973. Well, I, I looked at this, and there are some flaws in the data you just quoted and in the general uh, criticism of trade. One, people tend to pick the wrong base year. They pick a peak year like 2000. That was the peak of what, in hindsight, was a, a bubble, a kind of artificial uh, last sprint of, of an expansion. The real comparison should be with the same point in the previous business cycle. 
we're about seven years removed from a peak year. If you go back uh, to the 1990s at the same point in the business cycle, all of a sudden uh, you realize that we're a lot better off than you would become to believe uh, watching Lou Dobbs. Uh, real wages are actually up 8% in the last decade. And if you look at a more important figure, which is called real compensation, which includes benefits, the, the flaw of the real wage data is it doesn't include benefits, that's up 22%. 2% a year, and that's a, an acceleration over what we had experienced in previous decades. Household income is up 6%, and all this, what I have to say, is nonsense about the disappearing middle class. Yes, the middle class, if you define it as, say, uh, $75,000 down to $35,000 a year, it has been shrinking slightly, but it's been shrinking because people have been moving up. The share of households earning under $35,000 a year has actually shrunk as well. So the lower class moves up to the middle class and even more middle class people are moving up. So as hard as it may be for us to accept, the truth is actually quite positive uh, when it comes to the well-being of the typical American worker and the typical American household over the broader perspective of the last decade. And trade and globalization has played a role in boosting our incomes. You also describe in your analysis, an explosion of household wealth. Now, this seems pretty counterintuitive. The national savings rate is consistently reported to be negative. American families carry high levels of debt, sometimes uh, ill-advisedly. How has globalization affected levels of debt and wealth for Americans? Yeah, this is another argument that you hear that, well, maybe consumption has uh, maintained its, its pace, but it's because we're putting groceries and things on credit cards. Well, I, I've, I looked at a broad set of data for this uh, report, Commerce Department, Labor Department, the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve measures uh, household wealth uh, every, every three years. And I looked at that data over the last decade. And what I found is that the, the, net, the real net worth of the median U.S. household uh, is up 30 percent uh, over the last decade. Yes, our debts have gone up. But our assets have gone up even more, stocks and, and housing. And most of the borrowing that American households do, well over 90%, is not for day-to-day -day expenses and consumption. Uh, most of it's for real estate uh, and durable goods like cars. I mean, these are investments of a sort. You're borrowing money for things that pay off uh, over, over a long time. There's also something called the debt ratio, and that is the the cost of carrying that debt as a share of income. And what I found is that it's been pretty stable over the last decade. It was 14.1% uh, in the late 1990s, and it's 14.4% today, basically uh, unchanged. So the balance sheet of the typical American household, the income, the kind of jobs that are available to us today, all are on a long-term upward trend. We see uh, undulations, ups and downs, having to do with the business cycle. Trade can't repeal the business cycle. But when we come out of a recession and recover, uh, we always find ourselves in a better position than we were at a comparable period in the previous business cycle. And as I show in the paper, trade and globalization have helped to create opportunities for Americans, investment opportunities, employment opportunities. We are significantly better off today than we would be if we weren't free to buy and sell and invest in the global market. Dan Griswold is the Cato Institute's Director of Trade Policy Studies. This is the Cato Daily Podcast. You can find the full analysis, Trading Up, 
How expanding trade has delivered better jobs and higher living standards for American workers at our website, cato.org.